You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Wow. That is, that's, that's, that's how I'm going to summarize this episode. If you're just kind of scrolling through and you found TechNest, or this kind of came up as the next episode, do not skip this interview. I've got the CEO and founder of a company called Wander, wander.com. John Andrew and Twistle. Wander is vertically integrating the vacation rental space. The, the short of it is they're creating these experiences as vacation rentals. And while still relatively a small company, but in 18 months, they have done a tremendous amount in building infrastructure. It's not just that they own the properties. It's not just that they've built an app and interface, but they've gone to the extent of incredible you know, automations when you just walk in the door and how it unlocks the door and turns on the fireplace and the lights pop on and you even unlock your Tesla from your phone. In talking with John Andrew about what it means to deliver these types of experiences and what this feels like and we got into the topic of community and I never thought that we would get into a t- into this topic of comparing and seeing the parallels between iconic brands such as like Harley Davidson and the community they built and how Wander is going about building community. I'm not saying it's, you know, everybody's wearing leathers and chaps, but it's the emphasis of community. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Um, John Andrew's super bright and has a ton of things going on. He's an experienced founder. Uh, he's built and uh, exited a previous startup, and he's taken a lot of that and just pouring all into this new startup. So let's go ahead and hear what he has to say. Hey, John Andrew. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super jazzed to be here. Now, uh, I pointed out... Just had to, but I want our listeners to know that you and I are both rocking the same sweatshirt, just a slightly different color. It's true. It is uh, the best attire, um, not biased at all. Uh, and uh, I think you look very good in it. So, yeah, pre- throw a compliment at you. I appreciate that. You know, and, and as I was saying, like, I'm a, a, I ride motorcycles, I'm a winter rider. So, even out in South Dakota, 30 degrees is right now is about my joy cutoff. Mm. So any lower than that, the joy starts dropping pretty fast. But above that, it, you know, it feels good. And this is now one of my go-to layers. The Wander uh, hoodie is a... Um, keeping me on the road. It's it's critical. It's critical. It's solid. Maybe we'll, we'll partner with Harley Davidson or something. And get it I, like... You know, I, you know, I'm biased here because I told you I have both a Harley and an Indian. Mm. But I think Indian is your brand to go really? with. And, and here's why I'm going to tell you this now, and then we're going to get into the, all the fun deals, but, but I'm going to go into this for real quick. If you look at commercials, movies, TV shows, Indian has been the brand being shown in all of it lately. And they're actually owned 
the, the brand is owned by Polaris. They, they bought it and brought it back and to fund the, the manufacturing of those motorcycles. They shut down the Victory brand, which is what the, basically was a yeah. testing pool. And now it's dominant. They are, they are fast growing and a serious threat to Harley, but there's just such a different feel to those bikes. They're just... Mm-hmm. I'll have to, I've never, I've never ridden an Indian. I used to have a Harley fat Bob, which I sell because I was, um, far too reckless. Um, (laughs) and, uh, but listen, you know, I'm, I'm up for proposals. So there it is. We'll we'll see which brand comes first. We'll, we'll, we'll send out a tweet and see who responds. Well, before we go too far down that rabbit hole, and I promised you in pre-show, there's going to be some rabbit holes, please go ahead, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is John Andrew Entwistle. I am 25 years young, uh, born in New York, uh, currently in Austin, Texas. I'm the founder and CEO of Wander, which is a startup uh, basically taking on the vacation rental space. You can kind of think about it like Airbnb, but we own all the homes and all the craziness that comes with that that dynamic. All right, let, so in comparison, 25 years old, I was... Um... I was actually still in college. It's not because I was that slow. <laughs> okay. I was, oh, was I 20? I actually might've been a year out or almost a year out. I went to school very late. Um, you are running a company that's raised, uh, what? 32 million now. Yep. That's uh, correct. And then you have a, uh, you know, a secure line of financing to be able to go and acquire homes on top of that. Right. Yep. Yeah. Hundred yep. million dollar facility from, from small amount. Hundred million. Okay. All right. <laughs> and and you guys are putting together these. Uh, I, I call them experiences. I can't call them vacation rentals. Vacation rentals is you know is is the homes that I can see from my house. But these are experiences that genuinely is setting a new bar in the vacation rental space. How in the world did you position yourself to be doing this? And the company's what eighteen months, twenty months old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I love, I love how you positioned it around experiences because ultimately you have to think backwards from what the customer is actually buying, right? They're not buying a house, like they're buying an experience. And so that's really how we think about everything, right? Which is really why we started this company. I mean, how many of us have gone and rented a home and it been subpar, right? It doesn't look like the photos, beds aren't comfortable, internet's bad. I mean, that's a regular occurrence. And then obviously right. you get the much worse horror stories, which I'm not even going to get into. And so this, this idea for Wander was really around what if you could pull an Apple and own the hardware and the software, right? What if you could own the booking platform, the property management, and then the underlying assets themselves? And if mm. you could verticalize this, that you could take this radically fragmented industry and provide a much better customer experience. It's like that Keith Rebois quote where it's, take a fragmented low NPS industry, verticalize it and provide a better experience for customers. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that really is the, the core ethos of, of the company is all around providing the best experience for, for customers and building as much infrastructure around that as possible. Very cool. I, I, and I, again, I, you know, I, I shared a little bit before the call, but I super impressed that, I mean, where you're at, at such a young age, what were you doing? before wander that you know led to this or and or specifically like what was the catalyst was it that bad an experience or did you have that good an experience well um before before wander i'd started a company called coder with my co-founders um kyle Littlemore, 
really incredible business. Basically, it moves the development environment where a software engineer writes code to an organization's cloud infrastructure. Um, so started that with them out of high school. So we were all 17, 18 at the time. Um, and that company ended up being pretty successful. We raised about $45 million from a bunch of great VCs, uh, a bunch of great customers as well, like Goldman Sachs, Palantir, et cetera. Uh, so I ran that company as CEO for the last five-ish years. Um, and then somewhere in between became a Teal Fellow and 30 Under 30 and all that, that tech jargon. And, um, and yeah, when I, when I had stepped down as CEO, my co-founder stepped into the role, um, you know, I knew that I wanted to build another company. And I think like so many people, when you're going through a change in your life, you kind of turn to, you know, exploring the world or getting out. Um, and that's when I rented this cabin out in Colorado. And, um, you know, I had experienced, uh, like a lack of quality and consistency dozens of times, but this was the first time in my life where my brain was empty and hmm. still, still running a million miles a minute. Um, and so the idea for wander got written in my notebook. But what was interesting is that it just wouldn't let me sleep at night. Um, and I ended up spending probably three months, give or take, um, just ideating, um, trying to figure out if this would work, why it would die, what the strategy would be, what are the players in the space. And ultimately, I just, it got to the point where I couldn't help but pull the trigger. Um, so started the company in May. 2021, uh, fortunate that all of coders investors were, were keen to work with me again. Um, most incredible folks in the world. And so we raised about $8 million across a bunch of little seed rounds. That was mostly led by red point. Um, and yeah, got to work, built the booking platform and the property management and we bought our first assets and, um, just trying to understand if this was actually going to work because, um, you know, odds are that it wouldn't. And, um, people just reacted in a really beautiful way. I think this was something that a lot of people wanted and were excited for, and they could really feel the soul behind it as well. I mean, mm. I always say that this is the company I want to work on for the rest of my life. Um, and, and so it just, it just feels different when you kind of look at it through that lens. Um, so yeah, that, that was my journey before, before Wander. So very unrelated to hospitality. Um, but very related, obviously, to, to company building. But totally related to my next question, because, you know, this is the show, this is the prop tech podcast. So naturally, I got to know, like, how do you describe when you describe Wander or with people put you in this position of like, are you guys a real estate company? Are you a tech company? Is there another category? Like, how do you respond to that question? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is, is I don't care at all what category people put us in. Uh, all I care is that we're giving the best experience to customers. Mm. And at the end of the day, the business's purpose is to facilitate that. So people can call us a technology company. They can call us an asset manager. They can call us a prop tech company or a real estate company. I, I candidly couldn't care less. Um, the most important thing is that people have a great experience and that the business does well. Let's talk about the experience. So we, you know, mentioned, you know, it, like I said, like from the outside looking in full disclosure, I've not stayed at a wander. It's one of these days it'll, it'll happen. I just have to leave my little cocoon in South Dakota, but <laughs> maybe we'll come to you, you know, yeah. I'll give you reasons after the show as to why that's a great idea for you. But you know, so, so 
what what is it about these experiences? What makes this property an experience versus, you know, I just check in, check out, you know, it's, there's a property manager who tells me when I can be there and that sort of thing. I'm assuming, and I think I saw something recently from you guys, the chore list is a little shorter than the average chore list. If, if you know, I'm, I'm renting my friend's Aunt Susie's cabin, you know, near a national park, like walk me through here more on the experience side of the property that sets it apart from your standard vacation rental. Yeah. So I, I think probably the best way to take a listener is, is, is probably through the, the general customer journey. Um, Let's do it. So you would have discovered Wander probably via like some social media or maybe a friend told you about a trip or maybe you listen to this podcast. You go and download the Wander app and it becomes pretty apparent that this is like a little bit different than like Airbnb or otherwise because we take great care into the properties that we we add onto the platform. Mm -hmm. Think, you know, modern glass houses above a 180 foot cliff or... Um, this uh, net zero home on the coast of Oregon, just these really beautiful locations that sort of um, invoke some type of emotion, like some type of like, I want to go here and experience this. Mm. Once you select dates and book, which of course you can split with friends and a bunch of cool stuff, that's where the experience really starts to differ. So the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to be reached out to by concierge, Make sure that you you know have everything you need. Your booking instructions and otherwise are obviously right in the app, and then you have guides around the local area and all that sort of fun stuff. Um, and you'll notice this little tab uh, that's disabled, but it, it says the smart home control, uh, which is a, a really beautiful part of the experience. So when you arrive at, at one of these properties, um, you'll arrive and you'll see the wander sign, and that's sort of how you'll know that it's just a little bit different all the lights will be on and you'll hear this low thumping um, because on check-in automatically all the lights turn on, the music turns on, the fire pits turn on and it makes you feel welcome, right? Because how many of us arrive at a vacation rental and you feel like you're breaking in? You got to walk around and figure out how to turn the things on and you're like holding laminate sheets and like following long lists of just instructions on turn it on, but don't turn it on this way. Yeah. And it's just not a welcoming experience, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, um, it's just super foreign, uh, and uncomfortable. When you get up to the door, you can obviously unlock the door right through the wander app. Um, and then from there, the whole house is obviously designed for you. You know, there's no owner's closet or photos of grandchildren or anything like that. And there's all types of little touches like drinks and snacks and wander branded robes and linens and obviously everything's clean to hotel standards and you can go and book a private chef through concierge or otherwise or uh you know unlock the tesla and go take it for a, for a rip or whatever you want to do um so really i think it's mostly around doing things that other folks can't around these little mm -hmm. touches and integrations like you know can we add a wander sign can we add a tesla in the garage can we have the house controlled through the Wander app? Like all these little touches. But at the end of the day, the experience just has to be solid, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you break a glass, like, is it going to be problematic? Like, no, like, it's fine. We understand these things happen, et cetera. It's not some family heirloom. Not saying that our guests should go and try and break glasses. Would appreciate if they didn't. Um, <laughs> but it's just knowing that, like, we're here to serve you and to make you happy. And so you mm -hmm. have a great time. And you know, knowing that, um, 
that that's like the entire goal of the company that's, that's providing this experience for you. It just, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it just feels different versus like someone trying to cover like a mortgage or something. Out of curiosity, do, do you guys just go out and get the Tesla and park it in the garage or do you, is that part of the experience of like working with Tesla and like, Hey, we're going to get you in on these homes. And it's like kind of, cause they're famous for not doing a lot of advertising, you know, they, yeah. so, Elon is the marketing department, I think for yeah. a large majority. So Tesla, uh, they're like the most incredible people. Um, and what they actually did is they gave us special access to their API so that users could unlock the door and all that sort of stuff right through the Wander app. Um, That's so cool. Like, yeah, it's just like for such a tiny company, like the engineers and the people at Tesla um, were just way too kind to us. Um, so so shout out, shout out to those folks uh, because obviously companies are just groups of people and... They have some some pretty amazing people. All right, I'm gonna insert my own idea here though, but there's gotta be like a wander song and dance for the Tesla, right? Ooh. I don't know if we can convince them to add that. They do uh, the the they do the Christmas um like the uh Trans Siberian Orchestra. It's true. Uh, I've seen they, it. Yeah. So hey, I, I don't know. It's gotta it's all possible. It's all there. <laughs> um <laughs> so um I wanna talk a little bit about uh, uh, speaking of like, well, we said Elon, and I'm going to just speak about Twitter. It's not always common. You know, sometimes we see CEOs have like very public profile. Sometimes they're like very behind the scenes. I've noticed, and, and this is just part of me. I'm a bit of a nerd like this following prop tech companies and prop tech CEOs. And I've noticed like an increase from you, like getting out there, talking to people, being visible on Twitter, like in front. Is there is there a reason behind that? Like, was there a change? So like, Hey, I got to get out there. I got to talk to people. Is did the marketing department kind of push you? Like John Andrew, people want to hear from you. The people are asking for your voice. Like what was, what's been behind that? Well, it's interesting. So my, my previous company was obviously enterprise software developer tools. So not exactly, um, <laughs> like super hype. Um, right. though obviously like the developer community, um, is actually super active on social media and, um, and otherwise. Um, but when I started Wander, um, and when you're starting from nothing, you have no distribution, you have no idea if people want what you're doing. And so you really don't have a choice, but to just like broadcast, like, Hey, we're building this. Like, does anyone actually want it? Or is it interesting? Do you hate it? Why do you hate it? I mean, obviously, Wonder has it's like we we actually don't have that many haters, which is surprising. But there are certainly a few folks who like you know don't like the idea for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And it's like it's important to engage with those people too, especially in the early stages, right? It's like why don't you like it? You know, is there something we should change, etc. And that's actually happened uh, a few times where like there's some like problem with the UX or like when we originally launched viewing dates was blocked by like having to become a wander member and like we changed those dynamics, et cetera. So I think it's actually really important to engage with people who dislike it just as much as it is to engage with people who do. Mm. But I mean, candidly, it's really just cause like I'm having fun, like talking with people who are excited and have ideas. And I think that like typically building a company as a founder can be relatively lonely. Um, mm. And so getting to like 
chat with and share your excitement with other people who are just as excited about it is a really beautiful phenomenon. So yeah, definitely not, not orchestrated by, uh, by marketing or, or much strategy other than the fact that I'm just having fun talking to users. I'd love to hear that from more, more people in the space, whether founder, CEO, just in general, like having fun with it. I mean, it seems like that should be a part of your job. Like, like I, I don't know. You spend a lot of time doing it. Like, why be miserable? Like, it should be. It should be a lot of fun. It's uh, encouraging to hear it. Yeah, it's like it's kind of a choice almost. Um, because obviously, again, like as a founder building a company, there are all types of shenanigans that happen. And there are a lot of shenanigans, too, that I think would, like, um, make people very stressed out. But you kind of have to, you know, decide... Um, like what attitude you're going to have around these problems. Yeah. And like, we have a virtue at wander, which is, um, we love problems because it means we get to solve them. And I think that that's just critical, both like personally and professionally to sort of meet adversity with, um, a can do attitude, so to speak. Very cool, man. I, I want to, um, let's, let's talk about the properties. Where are they? How many of you guys have right now? Uh, and, uh, which is the first, which is your favorite? Yeah. Um, so it's a relatively small number. We have, I think 14 ish locations, hopefully should be around 50 by the end of the year. So growing quite a bit. Our first was anchor Bay. So Gualala is a small town about two and a half hours North of San Francisco. It's a really, really beautiful location. Northern California coast is, is one of my favorite places on earth. Mm, mm -hmm. And the property was just incredibly special. I mean, we had just started the company. I had gone on this road trip with my pop where I was basically working in the passenger seat on my laptop and he was driving. So great bonding time with my dad. And we came to this property, the most amazing owners, um, who also own the home next door. And just five acres on the California coast, truly magical. You had pelicans flying by and because it's a cliff, the pelicans fly at eye level. So you stand on the cliff and the pelicans fly by right in front of you. And when there's a wind gust, the pelicans actually just hover there mm -hmm. and you can like literally reach out and touch them along with seeing whales and seals and all these other incredible things. Mm. So that was the, that was the first location. And what was really important about that was, is that it was about proving a thesis, right? So at that point in parallel, the booking platform was happening. We had to establish property management and operations because that was obviously critical to this whole thesis. We had to ensure that our underwriting was correct because at the end of the day, these were going to become investable assets. Right. And to watch everything come together so quickly and to have that first guest check in and say like, wow, this is a remarkable experience. We sort of knew that we were on to something. Um, so yeah, that was the, that was the first property. And um, yeah, just one of my favorite places on earth. If, if you live in like the San Francisco Bay area uh, and you need to get away for a few days, I highly recommend it. There it is. I tend to agree with you. The Northern California coast. It's incredible. Just, we, that's what we did for our honeymoon. We, we drove from north of Seattle and we just did the whole coastline down in California 
and just and we stayed on the coast the whole way yeah. and it was just like constant every day like how how is this real how does this exist it looks like you're in like uh was it land before the lost was that what it was called the old mm-hmm. dinosaur cartoon show uh it might have been before your time i was kind of young when i was on tv <laughs> but anyway uh not to go down that path so you you talked about these properties becoming investable assets and so of course yeah your investors having a share but you guys have spun off a new service if you will or a new product altogether a financial product tied to these properties right can you can you talk us through what is that called what is it and also like why you're yeah. you're even just getting started on the on the actual homes themselves why add this other arm to the business yeah so when you look at the industry basically what you have is three fragmented components so you have the booking platforms think airbnb vrbo then you have the property managers think vacasa evolve and then obviously there's a bunch of local companies as well and then you have the asset managers right which in this case are just individual owners so it's all hyper fragmented and you have these three core components so when you think about how you would go about verticalizing the industry you have to obviously basically create your own ota online travel agency your own distribution platform booking platform Mm -hmm. then you have to have your own property manager and then underneath that you need to be the owner when you think about that and you just kind of do some backwards math on scale it's just not possible for wander to have 100 of the equity in a thousand properties and so what you end up realizing of course is that you know finance is the other side of real estate and it starts to look a lot like a traditional hospitality model where you have the property owner and then you have obviously the operator and so the question was how can we allow for basically the community to also own a piece of this portfolio as opposed to just large institutions for example and that's really where the idea for the wander REIT really kicked in was this idea of what if we could allow for investors to have access to this really incredible new asset category that has you know, historically really incredible yields and, um, you know, is being professionally managed and otherwise, and the barrier to entry really is go and buy a second home and then like rent it out, which is a pretty, pretty high barrier to entry. And how can we do so in the most tax efficient and best way for consumers, which Hmm. if you kind of look at the alternative investing space, candidly, it's, it's really inefficient. If you actually look at, um, like a lot of these, reg a filings 50 percent goes to fees or otherwise and so if you're investing in like one-off reg a filings in real estate where like those returns really matter it's just grossly inefficient not to mention taxes and otherwise mm-hmm. so to me the idea of a REIT was sort of the only one that worked right where wander would carry the burden and the expense load of you know getting everything set up and making sure that it was ironclad and also in a tax advantage structure for individuals i think it's something mm-hmm. like 35% of the taxes is like deductible or something like that. Um, but I'm not a tax advisor, so someone should. None of this verify. is tax or legal advice. Please consult uh, someone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To help you. Um, but yeah, so that was the, that was the big idea behind it. And we also saw this incredible flywheel opportunity where someone stays at the property and can own a piece of it. 
And that leads to more locations, more locations leads to more guests, more guests lead to more investors. And you had this beautiful flywheel. You also had this flywheel of investors coming to wander, just wanting to invest in, in the product because it's, um, you know, just so, so attractive and in their investment thesis and then stay at the properties. And so over time, what we're really excited to do is basically merge this idea of a customer and an owner where you can own a piece of the REIT, get access to things like special dates, et cetera, and really feel ownership of this portfolio while also benefiting from the returns and otherwise. And, and so, yeah, really at the end of the day, it solved a, a business problem while also making the whole ecosystem, I think just really strategically beautiful. Of course, it is a model that's been around since I think like the seventies, right? When REIT started to become pretty prolific. Um, but it's interesting to take a consumer brand in this technology platform and overlay it with this like well-known financial structure and really merge all the concepts. Yeah. And that was one of my follow-ups here is like, you know, is, do you see this as like a vehicle for, you know, the, the customers become the investors or investors then become lifelong customers? Cause I could see, I could see very clearly persona overlaps of, you know, who may be attracted to, you know, a, uh, can I call it upscale? Do you call it upscale? Yeah, I would say upscale. Yeah, an upscale rental experience. Like I want to go away, but I want to have the amenities where they're at. I want things taken care of. Well, it's very possible they would qualify to be able to invest in this. And also the those who qualify to invest in this may also appreciate, you know, those experiences at level. It seems like there'd be like that give and take, which then it's like to me is the obvious piece where it's like, that's part of the community. Is there something else that you guys are doing that then is uniting that community? Like, are they interacting with each other somehow? Is there a way of like bringing that around to where different wanderers is that, do you call them that as their customers, the wanderers? We, we, we don't, well, I don't just because I feel like, um, I'd be like, uh, crucified for it being too corny. Um, <laughs> But I'd be lying if I said that I didn't absolutely love it when people said it. I just know that I have lost the privilege to say it because it would be deemed too corny to come out of my mouth. Um, but when I say it, I do love it. So, but I'm wondering if there's more, or, or if not today, is there a vision of like what that community entails, other than because we've stayed at a wander or we invest in wander, then we're you know part of a community. And and I'll prefer uh, follow up this question with because. I see a lot of talk about community, yeah. like join the community and be part of the community, but genuinely it just means I have an account. Yeah. So it's interesting. So I think that a lot of people screw up what the idea of a community is. Um, like you can't, uh, like a lot of companies will launch a product and then like just put together a discord or something like that. And not saying that that's bad, but what you want to do is you want to foster a group of people who are excited about an idea, right? I give a good example, like Apple, Apple has a incredibly strong community. So does Tesla, but the, the groups who are excited about that, there's not some, um, like built in corporate feature that allows mm -hmm. like Tesla owners to like chat with each other on the road or something like that. And, and the reason is, is because I think that a community is actually just a group of people who are truly excited and passionate about an idea. Mm. What you want to do from there, I think, 
is that you just don't want to let that community down. I think that's actually the best form of community engagement is to deliver on your promises. Hmm. And so over time, we do want to allow sort of this like beautiful, like drifting interaction where people will be able to leave recommendations when they go on a stay and then someone else can review it. And like, I think that's like a really like romantic idea. But I think that if we tried to force something where we just put everyone who's excited about wander into some like group chat that, um, that, that it would, it just, it wouldn't, I guess I would say that it wouldn't make up for if we failed to deliver on the brand promise. Mm. And so really, I think it's more about, um, delivering, engaging, welcoming people, accepting their ideas. And maybe we can create some interactions that make sense, but I think that's actually much more critical than trying to force some, than trying to force some like cross community interactions. Yeah. I've joined enough Facebook groups where they give me the canned questions to answer and I answer those questions and then nothing happens. And it's hard to call that a genuine community. It's more like exactly. a, a bulletin board for the admin. And then that's kind of all it. Yeah. It's becomes. like, it's all based around this idea of excitement, right? It's like mm -hmm. what you want in a community is you want to be excited about something mm -hmm. and then you want to see that thing deliver and grow. And like, um, it's interesting, like, like I like pre-ordered the Cybertruck when it was announced just because I thought it was like super cool concept. Um, and it's interesting, like now I feel like I'm part of this Cybertruck community. Totally. Um, but there's no group chats. There's no anything. There's just like YouTube videos and like the occasional tweets and like whatever. Um, and it's, it's like, I feel just as like, um, yeah, it's just an interesting concept. I think I think a lot of people get the idea of community very wrong. Um, I ride motorcycles, and what do, what what do bikers do a lot of times when they pace each other? They, yeah, the little. The little, it, it, a, you, it's a lot of people confuse it with a wave, but it's it's usually two yeah. fingers, and they point down at the ground, and it's two tires, rubber side down. Yeah. You know, stay on your wheels, stay safe. You know, enjoy the ride. Like there's that camaraderie there. I used to own a '74 Beetle. It was all matte black, red rims, chrome accents. It was low and slow and not much else. But every time I rode past or drove past another Volkswagen owner, and specifically Beatles, like it was other mm -hmm. Beetle owners, they do the same thing, but they would do a peace sign because that's you know, the V, yeah. Volkswagen, right? And Jeep owners, of course, I'm not even going to get into the Jeep topic. Jeep people are a whole kind of special breed. <laughs> They're little, it's a Jeep thing you wouldn't understand. And yes, I wouldn't understand why you want someone with a leaky transmission, but that is a different discussion. <laughs> but <laughs> controversial but I, topics here. <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. Like it's a belief in an idea that can unite people, and there's not necessarily a dedicated forum forum to like bring all those people together. And yet, somehow that is is there. You know that exists. Um, I think it's also about the underlying ethos of it all, right? It's like mm -hmm. it's not just about like the property or the company, it's about this idea of like, what type of person are you? Like, do you want to go on these adventures? Do you want to explore the world? And then like fostering that. And again, I think as long as a product delivers on its brand promise, that that's how you create that idea. I think the reason why you don't have it for companies like the airlines, for example, is that like, yeah, airlines could be this really exciting 
passionate community around people who love to travel and otherwise until you hop on the phone with United support or otherwise. And like you got booted off your flight and mm -hmm. I've just spent the night at the airport and they don't care about you. And like, that is what ruins the experience. And yeah. so as long as a brand delivers on its promise, and if you can do so over decades, then you can create a credible, a credible community, which I think like there are very few that did, right? I think Apple would be an example. Like they've delivered on their promise of bringing great technology to groups of people for the last 40 years. I think that, you know, Harley Davidson, I mean, they've, they've struggled a little bit, not always mm -hmm. delivering on the promise, but like that idea of freedom and like being on the road. And like, if you, if you can deliver your brand promise year after year, and keep mm -hmm. people excited, then you end up building a community um, without ever having to create a chat room or Facebook group or otherwise. I literally, you know, when I talked about this sweatshirt being like a base layer for how I stay out on the road when riding, I, I did not give genuinely any thought to how communities that exist that I'm very familiar with and know in the motorcycle world to what you guys are building. But as we're talking here, I'm like, it is blowing my mind because I'm seeing so many parallels. Like, you know, I know a lot of people who my dad had multiple Harley tattoos. I mean, the brand tattooed yeah. on you. That's like the ultimate achievement of a brand. I mean, of like, I don't think I've ever showed it before, but I have the Wander logo right on, oh, my, look at right that. on my wrist. That's sharp. Are there benefits for Wander community members who have Wander Oof. tattoos? I don't think I could ever do that. I don't think I could ever... Um... Encourage at least a retweet. If you've got a wander tattoo, tweet it out. There's Please do not get it. Please do not get a, a tattoo unless you really want one. Um, and I'm not saying that I won't retweet it. I'm just saying that I don't advise it because don't advise it. Fair enough. Yeah, a little lunacy, but um, no, I think it's cool. I mean, if it's a company you plan on working on for the rest of your life, then it makes sense to you know to do something, uh, you know, to make make that little mark. Um, if it's very personal to you and it connects to you, what, hey, yeah, it's also, I think a really like just our logo is a very, um, it's just a globe, right? Yeah. And like the globe is our home and you know, we're all on it. We all share it. Like very few of us are going to go anywhere off of it anytime soon. So true. Well, we're going to shift to, uh, this is a little bit of a freestyle segment of the show. Every once in a while I'll do this and I'll source questions. Uh, from other people I know, either in industry, Twitter, some channels that I'm in that are like uh, not all pro uh, public. And uh, we got one from Twitter, Sam mm, Samowitz, or Seth Samowitz, excuse me, Seth Samowitz. Uh, and Seth wants to know, how are they thinking about markets to enter and market saturation? Follow up, are we in the first or ninth inning of short-term rentals. Yeah. So it's really, it's really interesting. So it's kind of a boring answer that like all of the markets that Wander chooses are actually data-driven. Um, so we have these sort of like large data sets where we analyze occupancy, seasonality, rental rates, all this performance data down to the zip code and address. And that basically gives us a heat map of which areas we can focus in. And then on top of that, we outline you know, uh, user data and travel trends and, you know, property level data and appreciation, all this like boring, non-fun stuff. Um, 
But then it also does get overlaid with the fun stuff as well. Like, is it beautiful? And is it inspiring? And is it a place that we actually want to go, et cetera? Which I actually think a lot of um, folks forget that, like, a house needs to underwrite and it needs to be a place you want to go. Like, you can't just just buy a place that underwrites. And obviously, you can't just buy a place that uh, is beautiful. It's like both need to be true if you want to create a, a durable asset. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how we select our our markets. Um, in terms of what inning we're in, I think that it's all around what thesis you have on the industry. So if you look at the institutionalization of single family rentals, it originally started with obviously like individual investors, right? So an investor would go buy a property, mm-hmm. rent it out. And over time, as as institutions recognized the benefit of the asset category, there was institutional investment into the space. What really never happened was this idea of a cohesive brand on top of these locations, which I think makes sense, right? Someone just is renting a house. It's not like hospitality or otherwise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that to that end, the phase that we're now at with short-term rentals is you're starting to see institutional investment and interest. And obviously companies like Wander are sort of um, like opening that world, right? With, you know, facilities like what we have with Credit Suisse and otherwise. Mm -hmm. But the idea of putting a brand on top of it and consistency ends up looking a lot like a distributed hotel model. And in that sense, that's really like the absolute first inning. as you can imagine, you know, hundreds, thousands of locations with a consistent brand and experience. And then mm-hmm. in the same way you think about Marriott or Hilton or Ritz Carlton or Four Seasons, that dynamic is going to extend into this distributed hotel type concept. And I think the way that you know that we're in that phase is that no one actually knows what to call the category. So like when I was starting coder, right? Like you just had like DevOps and then you had like DevSecOps and you had like all these acronyms like flying around, people calling things, various things. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, like no one knew what to call, like what was happening in the industry. Um, and I think the same thing is happening within short-term rentals as well, right? You have short-term rentals, vacation rentals, single family leisure is now something that some people are starting I, to call it. I've heard more of the leisure hospitality uh lingo floating around that but referencing short-term rental single family rental exactly for vacation yeah and so i think that when you think about it through that lens and this idea of like a distributed hotel type idea that Mm -hmm. it it is like literally the earliest i wouldn't even say it's inning number one i'd say it's inning number one when a company like wander announces a large institutional equity facility that's like when it'll really be, or like when our REIT passes like a hundred million dollars AUM or something along those lines, then it's, um, then you're sort of entering like inning one, two, and then globally, obviously, I mean, it's a global market. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it through that lens, I'd say it's the beginning. I think when you think about it through just like the individual owner operator that you're probably halfway through the game. If I had to guess, it's becoming a pretty established market. Gotcha. And, and you said something in there that kind of made me think about, uh, you know, we had Austin Allison, the CEO of Picasso on the show, and they talked about certain qualities of, you know, properties they look for uh, that kind of fit uh, and which 
is a perfect segue to the next question. It comes from Clayton Collins. He's CEO of HW Media. They run Housing Wire, Real Trends. And uh, he wants to know if you see you know, luxury, vacation rentals, this, this uh, experience that you guys are doing, is there competition against the luxury fractional audience, like those buying a Picasso home, or do you see it as they, they coexist without competition? Yeah, I mean, the competitive question, I think, always boils down to like consumer choice, right? So a consumer is either going to decide that they want to go and stay at a vacation rental like Wander, or they're going to decide that they want to own a fractional share, or they may decide that they want to go and own their own vacation home and rent it out or whatever it may be. And so when you think about it from that perspective, I don't necessarily think that like once a customer has made their choice that obviously Wander is competitive in those categories because it's just a different product. I do think though that like as customers think about what they want to do, they're obviously going to evaluate a slate of options. And so the more options that a consumer is given, you know, the, you know, you may get obviously like some, some changes in, in what they decide to do. And that can also, again, not just be related to renting a home versus buying fractional, but it's also, again, just going and buying a whole vacation home, or they mm-hmm. could also decide to go and stay at a resort or whatever it may look like. Um, which at the end of the day is why it's just critical to deliver the best customer experience possible and deliver something that you think makes sense. And, mm-hmm. um, and at the end of the day, I think it's going to be the, like a certain set of customers just want to go and rent. And then I think there's going to be a certain set of customers that want to own a fractional share or whatever that looks like. So I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's actually, um, I don't think the two are going to end up displacing each other candidly. Very cool. And then uh, we'll do the the final of the the three here. I did have one other uh, actually from my CEO, Ryan Letzizer at uh, Obi, but I asked it earlier as far as differentiations. So this last one here is going to be from Drew Myers. He runs a community for yep. prop tech leaders, founders. You know Drew from yeah, Kansas State. Know All right. So Drew's got a question for you. Um, how do you look at retrofitting existing houses versus building from scratch? Yeah. So part of what makes this product like somewhat scalable is the idea that Wander can go and roll up existing assets, existing incredible homes, existing incredible short-term rentals, et cetera, and then put our brand and operations on them and make it just a better guest experience. So if that was the question, as long as I'm understanding it correctly, um, you're really taking advantage of existing homes is sort of critical versus like build to rent. If he means in terms of like building our own smart home tech and otherwise, it's really all around the integration side. We uh, we don't have any plans to displace Yale or, or anyone like that anytime soon. All right. Well, uh, John Andrew, we're gonna transition to the bottom of the show. We're gonna jump into the segment called For the Future. For the future, when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions, are you ready to play? I am. I will warn you, I am an optimist, so all my answers are going to be optimistic. Let's do it. I love it. Number one, what does Wander look like one year from now? Oof, a year? I would say that there's actually pretty solid clarity. Um, we'll probably be about 50-ish locations. We'll have launched our first international location likely in Europe or Iceland, haven't decided. Um, 
we'll have closed our first institutional equity round. Um, the REIT will have been merged into the app and may at that point be registered as a public security, non-listed, but a public security. So anyone can go and invest and there'll be obviously no minimums. Um, it's also really nice too, because there's all these filing requirements, which I think is like a really beautiful thing. It's just to give that as much transparency as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it'll, that'll likely be registered at that point. There is a product which we will be releasing this summer that I can't share yet. Um, but that will be live. Um, and I think pretty, pretty incredible and exciting to specifically other short-term rental operators. Um, so it's going to, it's going to shake up the landscape quite a bit. Um, and yeah, at that point too, hopefully Wander is a profitable business, which knock on wood, if everything goes according to our capital plan, we will be at the time and, uh, we'll likely have raised our series B and, um, and yeah, hopefully we'll just have, have continued to do well by our customers as well. And, delivered a heck of a lot of happiness. Um, cause that's really the thing that like keeps me running is, um, yeah, just getting the occasional email. That's like, I had the time of my life. Like, thank you so much. Um, so hopefully a lot more of those. Love it. Number two here. Uh, and I wanted to I tried to put something together that was gonna be impossible to answer. You're so optimistic. I feel like you're going to make it sound easy. If you had to put a percent of growth to the overall vacation rental space, let's just U.S. So we'll we'll stick to U.S. if that makes it simpler. Um, and this is not including hotels. I know we just talked about the you know convergence of all that, right? So vacation homes, kind of thing. How much will the industry grow over the next three to five years? So I think that there will be a growth of professional operators. Um, but I do think there will end up being a contraction of sort of like folks just dipping their toes into the market because obviously it is, it is a lot of work. Um, I do think you'll see growth as well on the software side, uh, different property management softwares, payment solutions, insurance solutions, direct booking solutions, et cetera. So you're going to see a lot of technology growth. You're going to see capital infusion from institutional players. You're going to see, if I had to guess like a few competitors in this, you know, distributed hotel type branded idea. Um, so you're going to see growth in a lot of different areas, but I do think you are going to end up seeing some level of contraction of individual operators, but that actually may not necessarily be the case either as you know, more people are looking to make a few bucks and short-term rentals become sort of better understood and you have wild investment from companies like Airbnb and otherwise to drive more people hosting. Mm -hmm. So it would be tough. I would say probably flat growth, maybe a little bit of growth in terms of like overall listings, unless you get into the category of like these buildings who are signing agreements where you can short-term rent the apartments. That's going to lead to quite a lot of listings, obviously. Um, so yeah, I would say I would say moderate moderate to flat growth overall, and then I'd say a lot of growth in the professional operator space, and a lot of growth in the overall technology and investment space, and then the first infusion of institutional capital. All right, number three of for the future. What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Hmm. probably the competitiveness of operators like there's um 
it's super fascinating, right? So like in startup land, like founders just recognize that it's super hard and we're like just all rooting for each other not to die. Like we're like, just keep going, dude. Like you can make it like, you know, or, 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 or otherwise. Um, but for some reason there's like this competitiveness within like the short-term rental and like hospitality world, which I find like super fascinating. Uh, like everyone's always trying to get an edge. Um, so yeah, I would say like that competitiveness, um, and like not rooting for each other is probably, probably what I think will, will continue just culturally. I'm not really sure why it exists in, in this like real estate world. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wish it wouldn't, I mean, it'd be so much more fun if everyone was like rooting for each other and, you know, sort of recognize that like, um, if you execute a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, so yeah, I would say, I would say that's probably the big shift is like more optimism, more excitement, more camaraderie, everyone rooting for each other, et cetera. Very cool. All right. The last one on for the future, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Fade away in all of real estate. Gosh. It could be one segment or, you know, totally it's through your lens. No, I mean, it's a great, it's a great question. So I want to, I want to respect it with a somewhat decent answer. Um, I think that there's been this, um, within, within real estate funds specifically, there's a lot of, um, sort of like garbage collection of assets where you have these like large real estate funds and they invest in, and really just like anything that satisfies like a, you know, their cap rate requirements. Um, mm -hmm. even if the actual asset isn't necessarily quality. Um, and I think what that leads to is a lot of distrust of investors because they don't actually know what they're investing in. And I think that that dynamic is shifting. I think what's going to end up happening is, is there going to be more high quality niche real estate funds or the assets that are inside of them are very well known and something that investors really look at. And I think that firms or groups that try and throw anything that moves or a bunch of junk that underwrites into these, these, these funds are going to fail, especially as the macro starts to contract and real estate investors are sort of, you know, dotting their I's and crossing their T's and checking twice in terms of where they're going to deploy capital. So I think that's going to apply to the entire industry. All right, John, we've got three more questions for you. Excuse me, John, Andrew, three last questions for you. These are all about you personally. So our listeners get to know you just a bit better. The first one is what are you reading? Mm. Well, the book of the month for wander this month is extreme ownership. Um, oh, Jocko. Mm hmm. I have read it already. I'm reading it a second time. Uh, the Wander Book Club is actually pretty intense. Books like Can't Hurt Me, Deep Work, etc. Mm -hmm. So, you're all about like getting shit done, uh, being tough, you know, executing as a team, etc. Um, so yeah, I would say that that those are the books that I really enjoy. I'm also reading a lot of books on like general, um, yeah, just just general structuring within real estate and otherwise. Um, and then the one other boring answer is I've gotten very into chess recently. So I've read a few uh, uh, 
uh, chess books, um, which uh, is a is a boring answer, but trying to trying to get slightly better. Now I am curious. Uh, you guys went through "Can't Hurt Me," which is a phenomenal book, and I will say I got a, in a moment of like transparency. It is one of the, and if not the only book that I could say like brought tears yep. reading the, the beginning of that that book. But uh, how many of you guys went through and did the the Goggins challenge? So everyone in the company had to read the book. In uh-huh. terms of how many people did the challenge, um, I would say obviously a small fraction, um, uh-huh. unfortunately. But the whole company. Right. I, was, I was hoping but to you hear can more about like you guys got the like the nicest swag. I was like, I wanted to hear about like whoever does the challenge gets like a track suit, like a laundry <laughs> track suit. You know, that'd be pretty dope. But all good, all good. The, uh, um, number two, who are you uh, learning from? The one last thing I'll note on the on the book piece is you can imagine a team of like forty people who are all reading "Can't Hurt Me" at the same time, working on the same idea. Mm. It was an epic month, dude. It was just so much fun. Um, I love that. Yeah, it was it was great energy. Um, who am I learning from right now? Gosh, I try and learn from everyone candidly. Uh, that's sort of how I approach it. Like every interaction I have is like, what can I learn from this person? Um, so yeah, I mean, the the candid answer is that I'm sort of that kid who um, I know on podcasts I talk a lot because I'm asked a bunch of questions. Um, but I'm, I'm the type of kid who like I'll sit at a dinner table and just listen to everyone for, you know, an hour and then pop up with a bunch of questions at the end. So I may seem like an extrovert, uh, but I am not. So that's why we put you in the hot seat. All right. The last one here. What inspires you? Gosh. Honestly, I just, 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 just creating a better world, which I know is like the most like hand wavy like 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 founder bs ever um but yeah dude i'm just such an optimist i like i like mentally like there like when i read the news there are so many negative stories and i like i purposely hunt for like that one beautiful tale right like the baby that survives the rubble in Turkey or like just like whatever I can find and grab onto that just like makes me smile, which is a principle. There's a book that I highly recommend called um, the art of happiness. And it's, it's the principle that um, like, I really recommend sort of like searching out um, the good in the world and the good in others and Mm. trying to progress and make things better. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what inspires me is the idea of just like a better, like outcome for the world, right? Like, you know, less war and more peace and, um, more economic prosperity and all that sort of stuff, which I know makes me sound rather hippie. Um, but yeah, I just like, I just choose to believe in a better future. Um, so yeah. That's awesome. John Andrew, this has been a lot of fun. I greatly appreciate your time and, and uh, entertaining multiple rabbit holes. Um, but also, I, I, I can't, I, I'm struck by the, the theme of community that came through this was not the intention and plan, but you know, stuff happens. Um, speaking of community, for those who want to learn more about Wander and or get in touch with you, where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, so just go to wander.com. 
Uh, you can follow us too on any socials. It's just at Wander. Um, and yeah, take a look at the properties, check out the products. Um, and yeah, if you need anything, just hit us up. Hello at Wander and we'll, uh, we'll answer anything. So awesome. Good stuff. Uh, we'll see you around. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.